So we come to the end tonight. Paul's last words to the Corinthians. Hope you enjoyed it. No, I'm just teasing. So, as, as we were worshiping tonight, the, the Lord just r- reminded me that this last chapter is all about believers being able to truly experience the power and presence of the Lord. And what Paul wants to say to the Corinthians sort of in closing tonight is that one of the ways God's presence and God's power is is felt, if you will, in a tangible way amongst God's people is when God's people come together. When we live in unity and harmony and love each other, that that God is pleased, the Bible says, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And that wasn't happening at Corinth. That, that the, the false teachers had driven a wedge between not only God and the Corinthians, but the Corinthians and Paul. And, and they weren't experiencing the power and presence of God like they could. And so God was going to unleash some power and presence through Paul, hopefully in order to straighten some things out in the church so that they could truly experience His power and presence in a greater way and in the way He wants to pour it out in our lives. We see that at the beginning of chapter 13 when Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to visit you. As we said, the first time was when he started the church and spent a year and a half there getting the church established. The second time was between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now this is the third time he's going to come to the church at Corinth. He says, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established. Why? Because in a sense, when he comes to that church, it's going to be like a legal proceeding. It's going to be like a court case. We're going to lay everything out there on the table and God's going to be the judge, if you will. And yet God's going to use human beings to get everything out on the table and to compare what has been done and what has been said with the Word of God, with the will of Jesus Christ. And Paul talks to the Corinthians about this in 1 Corinthians when he says, It's a shame that you guys are not able to settle disputes amongst yourselves as believers in Corinth and that you're going to judges outside of the church to settle disputes. Because don't you have within you as believers, is there not someone wise in the church that can judge? Is there not enough people in the church at Corinth that should be able to settle disputes amongst believers? In fact, remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6? He says, do you not know, believers, that one day you will judge the world? One day you will judge angels? And he doesn't mean their sit in judgment. He means to rule and reign with Christ. And so Paul is saying, this is our glorious destiny that we have as believers. You mean to tell me that there's no one wise enough, no one who's in touch with God enough, no one who knows the Word enough to be able to cut through all the stuff that's going on and say, this is what needs to be done and this is how we need to look at it? And that's why Paul's going to come the third time. Because if nobody else is going to deal with it, 
If nobody else is going to say this is what needs to happen, then Paul loves them enough to step up and do what needs to be done. He said, I say before, when I was present a second time, and now though absent, I say again to those who sinned previously, and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare or abstain anyone. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, He is not weak toward you, but is powerful among you. And remember, the whole contention here is that the false teachers came in and basically said, Paul is weak because he's gentle and he's meek and he's accommodating and he's not divisive and aloof and and all that like the false teachers were. And so they said, he's weak. You don't want to follow someone who's weak. Paul says, you want power? I'll show you power the next time I come. Because they had a misconception of what power was. Their criteria, their test of what power was, what spiritual power is, isn't what spiritual power really is. They had, they had been influenced by the false teachers to begin to adopt a worldly way of looking at power rather than a Christ-like biblical way of looking at power. And that's why they deemed Paul a weak individual. Paul's going to say, does weak individuals deal with things like this? Do weak individuals stand up and deal with things when nobody else wants to? Will weak individuals confront what needs to be confronted? You're saying I'm weak? Okay. And then he goes on to say, For indeed, Jesus Christ was crucified by reason of weakness, but he lives because of God's power, for we also are weak in him, but we will live together with him because of God's power toward you. He's saying, here's where you have gotten duped by the false teachers. Here's where you're mistaken. And this is why I've been talking about this, Paul says, in the last couple of chapters. That the the key to experiencing God's power is to be weak in and of ourselves. To allow God's power to work through us. If we're strong in us, then there's no room for Christ's power to work in our lives. And, And even though human beings may have looked at Christ crucified, And looked at him hanging on a cross and said, well, he must be weak. Because if he was truly who he said he was and he was full of power, then he wouldn't have allowed those that he says he created to crucify him on a cross. And he certainly wouldn't have stayed there. And Paul says, oh, you're mistaken. It took great strength for Christ to die on that cross because it was strength to commit to the will of God, no matter what that will brought, including death on a cross. That's strength, he's saying, my friends. And you have misunderstood what real strength is. See, you don't think there's any strength in being gentle, in being meek, in being accommodating. You don't think there's any strength there, but that's where real strength lies. And I'm going to show you strength. I'm going to show you power When I come to Corinth. And throughout these last couple of chapters, Paul and his ministry has been under the microscope. Basically, the false teachers came in and 
said, you need to start looking at this guy more closely and you need to reject him because there's this, there's this, there's this. And Paul, before he ends this letter, is now getting ready to turn the tables. He said, you guys have put the microscope on me. You've certainly sat in judgment of me and my ministry. I think it's high time that you test and examine and judge yourselves. Because just like a lot of people, even Christians down through history, it's very easy for them to turn the spotlight on to another Christian and examine and test and judge them. But it's very difficult for them to turn the spotlight on themselves and come into the light and truly be exposed in the presence of Christ and say, Jesus, is there anything in my life that might need changing? And so Paul says, put yourselves to the test to even see if you are in the faith. The words put yourself to the test literally means to lay out the evidence and the proof. In other words, again, using courtroom type language. Where's the evidence and proof that you're even a Christian? Because I think Paul had gotten to the point where Though he knew that some of them were, that he doubted whether all of them were. And he says, you need to test yourselves to even see if you're in the faith. And secondly, he's not only, he's not only doing that, but in the language of, of, that he's using, he's also saying to those who are Christians and who know they're Christians, you need to put yourselves to the test too, because if you are a Christian... Are you on the road of sanctification? Are you on the road of spiritual growth and maturity? Or is the way you're acting right now in the church at Corinth reflecting Christ-likeness and, and what God's Word says? Or is it not lining up with that? Put yourselves to the test. You put me to the test. You put my life un under the microscope. Now it's time to put your life under the microscope. He says, examine yourselves. Test the genuineness of yourselves. Or do you not recognize regarding yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Wow. I'm going to give you a little homework. I usually don't do that. But I know you all are study. You, you guys love the Word and you love to study. When Paul says to put yourselves to the test to see whether you're in the faith or even whether you're on the right track spiritually as a Christian. Here's the homework. What is that test? How do you test yourself? Because Paul doesn't give them the specific tests. And I think the reason Paul doesn't do that is because he already knows they know the tests. Because he's already taught it to them. They know what the tests are. Do you know how to test yourself to see if you're a Christian? Or to see if you're on the right track spiritually? It's in the Word of God. Some of you I know, you're going to go home tonight and try to figure that out. Because let's remember something. And this is why this is so important. Religious activity, 
doesn't mean I'm saved. Going to church doesn't mean I'm saved. Even making a decision doesn't mean I'm saved. Being a good moral person doesn't mean I'm saved. Remember the very sobering passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says in Matthew 7 to those who said, Lord, we're getting in, right? We're going to be in heaven, right? Because we've done many wonderful works and we cast out demons and we did, we did all these amazing deeds in your name. So they think they're getting in. And what does Jesus say? I never knew you. Depart from me. Now you think about it. And Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, not just a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I'm expecting to get in. Can you imagine that the Bible teaches that there will be many people who think they're going to get into the kingdom and they're not? Because they're basing getting into the kingdom on something other than the only way a person can get into the kingdom? And so it's good to put ourselves to the test. Not to get into morbid introspection. But even Jesus says, it's good when Christians are willing to come to the light and allow their lives to be exposed. Because it's not when we do this examination that we're sitting there looking at our sin or all the things that we've done wrong. That's not what it's about. It's about coming to the light of Jesus Christ and, and saying, God, what needs changed? See, when we do that, when we're willing to test ourselves, it actually can start to turn a hard heart to a soft heart. It can actually turn someone who's, you know, reluctant to change to someone who's willing to change. Someone who doesn't maybe think there's anything even to change. And then when we come into the light, it's like, wow, okay, yeah. There's that area that I really need to, to focus on. And so Paul says, are you willing, Corinthians, to put your own lives under the microscope as much as you were willing to put my life under the microscope? And then he says in verse 6, and I hope that you will realize that we have not failed the test. See, Paul's confident that he knows the Lord and that he's on the right track. And he even mentions that last week in chapter 12 when he says, the signs of an apostle of Jesus Christ were evident when I was there. I know I'm on the right track. I know I know the Lord. But do some of you. And you know, out of love, I think Paul's doing this because the last thing Paul or any spiritual leader or any spiritual Christian would ever want is for someone to have a false sense of assurance that one day they're going to go to heaven when they're really not. That'd be awful. And I realize as Christians that 
throughout our Christian life, there are times where all of us maybe, for one reason or another, might struggle with assurance or doubt and all of that. I, I get that. But we also shouldn't be afraid to just make sure. And if we truly love someone, just like Paul loves the Corinthians, it's okay to say, are you sure? Have you tested yourself? Have you tested the genuineness? Is there real evidence and proof that you accepted Christ? Because the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Where's the fruit? And see, we live in a world today, the first thing you're going to hear is, well, you're not supposed to judge. Of course, they take that whole thing out of context. Because Jesus says, by your fruit, you will know them. And Jesus says we should be able to look at fruit in our own lives and in the other, other people's lives to see where we're all at. And then he goes on to say, now we pray to God, verse 7, that you may not do anything wrong, not so that we may appear to have passed the test, meaning your test, the test that you set up, the false test, because that would mean we're powerful, right, in your eyes. But so that you may do what is right, even if we may appear to have failed the test. In other words, Paul's saying, I'd rather fail this false test and be weak, considered weak by you guys, and off base if it means you guys getting your act together. That's all that I care about. Oh, I don't care how you view me. I don't care what my reputation is amongst you. I don't care how you feel about me. What I care about is your spiritual life and making sure that you are right with God. That's all I care about. Because notice Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the sake of the truth. That's, that's what all that matters. It's what is in accordance with God's revelation. So notice Paul goes on to say, we rejoice whenever we are weak. But you are strong. In other words, Paul is saying, you realize that it was through my personal human limitations and weakness amongst you that God's power truly flowed and you guys at one time were really strong. You were a strong church. You were unified and, and there was the power of God amongst you and the presence of God was so evident in your life. But now, through the influence of others and even through your own waywardness, you guys have gotten strong on your own and you've left the power of Christ behind. And so he says, and we pray for this, verse 9, that you may become fully qualified. This word in the Greek language, in the Greek New Testament, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And this goes right along with what we've been learning in 1 Timothy. The words to become fully qualified literally mean to be strengthened through disciplined training. To be strengthened 
through disciplined training. In other words, to become fit, spiritually speaking. That's Paul's prayer for the Corinthians. In other words, Paul's saying, even if you are saved and you are in the faith, many of you in Corinth have gotten flabby. You have gotten out of shape spiritually. And so my prayer for you is that you would be strengthened through disciplined training. That you would get back to the spiritual disciplines. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself for godliness. It's not in trying. It's in training. Get yourself spiritually fit. Because of this, I am writing these things while absent so that when I arrive, I may not have to deal harshly. In other words, Paul is hoping that they'll get their own house in order, that they'll deal with things so that when he comes, it would just be a good time of fellowship with a brother in Christ rather than them having to go through all that he's talked about here at the end of 2 Corinthians. Even though he says, if I come and have to, I will use my apostolic authority. I will use my privilege and my power that the Lord gave to me. But notice, Paul says, anytime God gives any of us privilege, power, position, it is always to be used for building other believers up, not for tearing them down. And again, the words building up means to promote growth, to edify. Now notice something. Notice that in order to build up, sometimes there does have to be some house cleaning. And that's what was going to have to happen at the church of Corinth for it to get back on the right track. Pretty tough words. But Paul does end this great letter trying to end on a positive, encouraging note to, again, encourage the Corinthians to follow through and do what they know down deep in their heart is right. So here's what he says in closing. He says, finally, brothers and sisters. I want to stop there. These words, again, tell us that we are fellow believers united in affection for one another. Literally in the Greek language, every time in the New Testament you see the terms brothers and sisters or beloved or it's talking to fellow Christians in the body, it literally means to be born of the same womb. And what Paul and others in the New Testament are simply reminding us of is we are part of the same body because we were all born of the same womb. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And there is a unique bond that exists between true believers in Jesus Christ. And God wants to see us united in affection. And if we truly want to experience the power of God in our lives, and in a minute he's going to talk about the presence of God in our lives, then we've got to learn to come together and not be disconnected and disjointed from each other. Because that's not how God intended. And then he says in verse 11, rejoice. 
be glad. The word rejoice is very closely connected to the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. And so it reminds us that the only way I can grow through life rejoicing no matter what's going on and have that deep inner sense of well-being that me and God are okay is when I'm just allowing God's grace to flow in my life. It's only when God's grace is flowing through me that I can be continually rejoicing. And then he says, set things right. These words speak about repairing and restoring. These words were used in Greek culture to speak of, say, medically, someone having a bone set. Or fishermen taking their nets that had some holes in it, and before they went back out to fish, they were sitting there mending their net and repairing the holes and restoring the net. And so when Paul says set things right, he's saying there's some things that need to be restored. Maybe there's some people that need to be restored. There's some relationships that need to be repaired. There's some lives that need to be repaired. Set things right. These are words of healing. And sometimes we need to individually go through a season and allow God to heal us, if you will. There's also times where there needs to be healing in the body. And that was certainly true at Corinth. Then he says, be encouraged. Again, in the original language, it just means be strengthened. In the word encouraged is the word courage, and it literally means to pour strength into, to give someone courage, if you will, to keep on going or to face whatever they need to face. And so that's the idea here, to be strengthened from within, to be strengthened from an outside force, not to muster up strength within myself, but to let God strengthen me. And then he says, agree with one another. Be agreeable. Be like-minded. Because all the factions and divisions and strife and disunity and all of that is upsetting the power of God and the presence of God that you could be enjoying. And as if that wasn't enough, he says one more time, live in peace. Cultivate and maintain harmony and unity in the church at Corinth. And Paul would say the same thing to the Oasis Church. He would say to us if he was here, Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Set things right. Be encouraged. Be agreeable with one another. And live in peace. Because when that happens, notice what Paul says will be the result. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Well, you say, well, God's with us all the time, right? Technically, yeah, He's omniscient. 
But Paul here is talking about being able to truly enjoy and experience the supernatural love and peace of God. And God's Spirit will minister in an environment where these things exist. Where this kind of relationship is happening between believers. Where they truly care about each other. And will do whatever it takes to maintain unity. Which obviously implies too that that means there needs to be some forgiveness. There needs to be a lot of love because love covers a multitude of sins. And we need to forbear with each other and be long-suffering and be patient and all those things that the New Testament talks about so that we can truly experience God's power and peace. And so right here in 2 Corinthians, we have in a sense a biblical formula of why you can be part of a local church. And and you can even sense, or you can even go in just as a visitor into a local church, and you can immediately sense, wow, God's power is here, and God's presence is here, and and it's palpable, and and, and I, I can sense it, and I can feel it, and I can experience it, and I can enjoy it. And then you can be part of other fellowships of believers where you go, I don't sense God's power or presence at all. And notice, though, what it goes back to. It goes back to that you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ bear responsibility to be able to enjoy God's power and presence means we need to make sure that our relationships with each other stay what they need to be and become what they need to be. Which is all that Paul's pouring out his heart here at the end of this letter to say to the Corinthians. Which is why he ends with these great verses. In verse 12, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Not a punch in the nose. People have misunderstood the term holy kiss. It simply means to greet one another in a warm and affectionate way. It means to cherish each other. See, God wants His children to truly cherish each other. To view each other and our relationships with each other as precious. And that we can't wait to get together again because there is that warm affection and bond and unity and harmony that exists between us as brothers and sisters and we value each other, and and our relationships with each other is of great worth to us. Which goes back to what we've been talking about, and Paul talking to Timothy about, which is why then, we as Christians, when we truly understand what the New Testament teaches about being part of the church, understand that we are responsible to be who we need to be so that we can become a blessing to others in the body and share our gifts and encourage and be used by God to lift and build up. And then he says, the very last verse, 
these encouraging words. He says, Corinthians, I know you can do it. I know you can do whatever needs to be done. And here's the reason why I know you can do it. Because you have the entire Godhead. You have the triune God behind you, supporting you, empowering you, and enabling you. Because he mentions all three persons of the Godhead in the very last verse of this letter. When he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship, the community, the intimacy, koinonia is the Greek word, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And Paul's basically reminding them, guys, you have the triune God at your disposal He's, at, he's in your midst. And, and both God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will all be there. Again, empowering you and enabling you to be the church and to be the people of God that you need to be. That's why Paul could say to the Romans, if God is for us, Who can be against us? And Paul's basically reminding the Corinthians, I'm not against you. I may have said some hard things to you, but it was only because I love you and am seeking your highest good. And you've got to know that God is for you and He wants to come into your fellowship there at Corinth and He wants to heal this church And He wants to bring this church back. And He wants to make this church a dynamic fellowship of light in that city of Corinth that so desperately needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. And the only way, Paul says, that God can begin to do that and that you as a a body of believers can begin to experience the power and presence of God in your life is when you get right with God in order to get right with each other. And Paul says it can be done. It can be done. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will pour out every resource, every supernatural resource at your feet to be able to enable you to do what needs to be done. I don't know what you all here tonight are going through, what you're facing, what you're dealing with in your life. But here's what I would like to leave with you tonight. The same concept that Paul left the Corinthians with. Know that as you leave this place tonight, that you leave here with the God of the universe, the only true God, the one and only, And you leave here with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all for you. All wanting to give you and maybe already pouring out to you everything you need to be an overcomer. To see victory. To rise above your circumstances. To make it through whatever you're dealing with. And all three of them 
are willing to work on your behalf. Think of it. The God of the universe who exists in three persons is willing to say to all of us, to me, Jeff, you don't have to go it alone. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be with you every step of the way. And I hope and pray that as we leave here tonight, that you will be encouraged by that as well. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great book that we've studied. We thank you, God, for the fact that you chose to put this book into the Scriptures. Even though, Lord, this book contains a lot of pain. A lot of pain because Paul and the church and the people of Corinth, their relationship was broken. There needed to be healing. There needed to be reconciliation. There needed to be restoration in this relationship. And there needed to be that in the church as well. Because Satan had gotten a foothold in that church and and there was division and disunity amongst the brothers and sisters in Corinth. And so God, I pray tonight that we would take the truth of this letter tonight and apply it however we need to apply it to our own lives. And help us, Lord, to leave here tonight Encouraged by the fact that the one and only God of the universe goes with us. And if Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, then that's also true of God the Father and God the Spirit as well. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit is praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. God the Father And so, Lord, may we understand we're never alone. We're never without God. And may we sense and begin to sense Your power and presence in our lives like never before. Not only individually. Not only in our families. Not only in, Lord, our communities. But, Lord, even here in our church as we gather together, as we work together, as we worship together, as we grow together, may we continually and in a more greater way sense Your power and presence moving us forward in the days ahead. Because we believe, God, that You have an exciting time ahead for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Go with us, Lord, from this place. With Your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week on Tuesday, we start a new study in the Gospel of John. Hope you'll be with us. God bless you. Thanks for being here.